Welcome to Storytelling Breakdown. I'm Ben Clemmer. I'm Steven Stahoski. I'm Larissa Whitaker. And I'm Caleb Meyer. And I'm excited because today we are going to talk about the storytelling of deck building. Ooh. That we are. Uh, we also need to uh, wish a happy birthday to Larissa. We are recording yes. this on the day. On your birthday. So you thank you for being a What a way to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Playing games for several hours after yeah. we finish recording, we will have cake. It's It's been a wonderful evening. Yeah, because we had to prep. We had to do prep work for this. I learned By prep things. work, we mean we played magic and we played other things. <laughs> <laughs> That's prep work. I it's love it. It's a tough life. It mm. sucks. It's, it's, a, it's a hard job over here at Storytelling Breakdown. Yes, you know, yes, indeed. Storytelling Breakdown taking on deck building games of all kinds, right? We're not limiting it to trading card games. We're, we're kind of looking at the whole kit and caboodle the whole so, genre yeah. very much doing i guess you call this the survey course version of this let's go it's 101 yeah deck building 101 <laughs> that would be a class they'd teach at uh Yu-Gi-Oh academy which they had in one of the tv shows <laughs> oh gosh you went to school to learn how to play Yu-Gi-Oh. that's hilarious i feel like for things like magic and pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, you kind of had to go to school to learn how to play those yeah, properly a, a deck building game for those who are unfamiliar is a card game or board game where the construction of a deck is a main element of gameplay. So we're going way beyond the traditional deck of cards. We're talking about any type of game in which you are going through continuing to add cards and as you're doing so, giving you the ability to do more and more things and interact with the game in more interesting ways the more cards that you add to that deck your utility within the game increases as you continue to work with those and some of these uh, as we talk about them are contained within extremely recognizable intellectual properties whether we're talking about the harry potter yeah, deck the builder potter, that the we battle of hogwarts doing. which we were just doing yep fun yes indeed. yeah that well that one's a little bit out of the ordinary because it's a co-op it's the mm -hmm. players collectively versus the game and we crushed it. We did. <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, my wife and I, when we first bought it, and we we were given, or I think we were given it for Christmas, and we played all seven books in one day. Whew. It took like five hours to go from start, and we were all learning the game as we and opening everything as we were going because it was the very first time we had played. And we were talking about it a couple of days later, and, and our decision, and still kind of our decision now, is that the game is very heavily skewed for the players to win. It is really hard for the villains to win. And we just witnessed that. We we steamrolled Voldemort in like the course of two turns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, for reference, just because we can talk about this gameplay a little bit, this is the... We didn't record the gameplay, but this is the second consecutive month where we've all gotten to step into the roles of different characters. This time, all as allies. It's a all lot more allies, fun yeah. having you on our team. <laughs> well, you know... <laughs> You got to play uh, the, the hero. I got to play the hero, right? Yeah. I, so, yeah.
it's kind of a cool setup. I mean, we can just kind of launch into Harry Potter. Uh, it's, I think it's a good introduction. Everybody gets a starting deck of 10 cards that effectively are all the same. Everyone's got eight Alohomoras, which I'll do the exact same thing, and then two items, uh, either an ally or uh, a piece of clothing or a wand or a broom or whatever, that are specific to each character. And in the original game, because I have an expansion pack that adds a fifth character in, but in the original game, it's just Ron, Harry, Hermione, and, and Neville, Neville on bottom. <laughs> Which, if it wasn't obvious, Caleb was Neville Caleb for was our playing Neville. We actually left Ron out of it. We you, did You were Ron Harry, Larissa was Luna, Caleb had Neville, and I had Hermione, because, as I said when we were getting started, it felt like malpractice to do any kind of a Harry Potter team-up and not have her involved. Well, yeah, we and would have all we died. hadn't played Harry, like, how do you do something in the Harry Potter universe without having Harry Potter? Hey, to be fair... I killed Voldemort. I know. <laughs> I I put the Petrificus Totalis token on. You did. He couldn't hurt us. You set him up, but you know I fulfilled the prophecy. You, you, Knock him down. you will get credit for the assist. There we go. That's, <laughs> Caleb yeah, scored that's the points. <laughs> but yeah, so the game is pretty straightforward. It's you, pretty basic. Yeah, uh, you, you use your starting deck to purchase new cards. Yeah, five actions you can do. You can get resources to add more cards to your deck. You can draw cards. You can heal your allies or yourself. Or yourself. Yeah. And you can damage enemies we did play the fourth book with the expansion pack so we did the full triwizard tournament which adds another layer to the game makes it more similar to the seventh book and the seventh book by the time you get to playing that it is brutal like that's the only time the game feels hard uh and it's because you're you're fighting three villains at once and voldemort is always revealed oh that's weird. the whole time so he just gets his crap every turn no matter what yeah Ooh. he sucks yeah that would be a challenge but it's pretty beginner stuff none of the cards are super complicated no. Once you start progressing through the Harry Potter game, you realize that each character kind of has their own ability. So Neville is the the healer, or supposed to be. I didn't <laughs> the do that. No, you didn't. Because all of his special I'm abilities. I'm a healer, but I'm just picturing that meme in my head with the doctor with the gun. Yeah. <laughs> all of his abilities are based off of the first time you, you dole out health. Harry is supposed to keep the dark marks off of the locations, just how the villains win. If they fill up all the location cards, they win. Ron tends to be the damage character because all of his is based off of when you assign your first lightning, you get an additional lightning or I should put Ron whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you you went, you you rolled up and dropped like twelve lightning on Voldemort at the very end, or like ten. Yeah, it 12. was ten. It was insane. because yeah. most of your most of your cards only give you like one damage at, at a time. Longbottom with the walk off. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, um, but it's a good. Yeah. It's I think it's a really good uh, intro to deck building. Because it's not super complicated, and it's a very well-known, easy-to-dive-into lore. I mean, we all grew up with Harry Potter. I mean, to varying degrees, yeah. To varying degrees. I mean, we all at least saw some of the movies, if not all of them, and we all, several of us read the books. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you a fun fact about little nine-year-old Larissa when I tried reading them books? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I was so, you know how when you're in school they teach you spelling and whatnot? When I tried to read the first Harry Potter book, because I was in the key demographic, the age to be following the Harry Potter franchise, I was so frustrated that the words were spelled differently or not spelled the way I was taught <laughs> oh, in school that yeah, I was like, English. I can't British handle English. this. <laughs> the Queen's English. Why do English. they have to spell it different than how I'm to supposed say the to spell it English here? Now? And I quit. Yeah, that makes sense. If we want to completely dive, uh, switch franchises in general, Magic is one of the most complex, well-known deck builders out there as a competitive trading card game where the focus is building a deck to compete against other players, right? Yeah. 
But their release schedule for the next couple of, well, for this year was nuts, but for the next couple of years is insane. And they're doing a ton of these secret layer drops where they are themed on other franchises. So, like, they just dropped a Warhammer 40K themed Mm -hmm. set of cards. And they're really cool. But in the past, they've done things like My Little Pony. Um, (laughs) For Magic the Gathering? Yeah, there's supposed to be a Transformers one coming out. (gasps) No kidding. They're supposed to be covering the Lord of the Rings soon. They've done, obviously, Dracula, which all of my cards are based on. Wow, surprise, surprise. Marketing worked on that one. Marketing yeah. worked on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they're they're really diving hardcore into trying to drive their fan base off of other fan bases as much as they can. I mean, I might get into the Transformers one. That's pretty appealing. I mean, I don't know how they're gonna do it. But I know. Well, that's what makes it so well, interesting. that ties into another deck builder though, because Caleb and I have been playing Smash Up for years and we've got our RPG decades okay. season on. Here's my question though. Bots. Is Smash Up a deck builder? Because you're not actually constructing the deck. You just pick your factions and go. Right. So if that that's counts, a, then That's a yes, good question. It is actually. it would be a deck builder in the simplest sense. Yeah. But like you yeah. don't you don't add cards throughout gameplay. It's almost like a variation on sealed deck play where the only variable you get to control is what you're pairing at the beginning. There is no, oh, I'm going to add these or I'm going to try to lean towards this mechanic or the one of one or more of these five colors with what we think of with, with the gathering. Yeah. Or, it, or it's Pokemon. just you're pairing this with this and let's see what happens. Hopefully synergize. And the deck, like there's, there's a lot of fun things to unpack with game mechanics. I did enjoy the fact that this would have been had we recorded it, the first cooperative game we played on the podcast the <laughs> because <game. laughs> we were four of us against you for Fury of Dracula. Yeah, and then true. when we did Young Jedi on season one, which also very much is a deck in builder. Deck, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's absolutely a deck builder. Yeah. I mean, and, trading card game. All trading uh-huh. card games are deck building games. Yeah. It was cool that we could each kind of build. And like, like the Harry Potter deck builder and what I maybe liked most about it was just to what extent it really felt like it was getting the power crawl right it's like okay as these characters are expanding in their own abilities and gaining allies and all of these things that we enjoy about the stories it gets the fantasy right in you feeling that along the way as you have a larger and larger deck to work with more cards to play more items and allies and your turns bring get to the fight. Like stupid long. yes oh yeah there was no, a no. turn larissa played she played like 12 cards in a row. It was awesome. It was like, play a card, it said draw a card. So I got another card, and I just yeah, kept you going. Were, you were running that cycle yep. real, Combo. real hard, and mm-hmm. it was great. What I love about the, the Harry Potter deck builder as a cooperative one, and, and you don't see that in, like, DC deck builder, but the, the Harry Potter one, like, honestly, it's a great day to just sit down and play it from start to finish, all seven books. It's a whole day. Yeah. But well, it is a lot of fun. And I think that goes back to what Ben was saying earlier with the difference between like IP focused deck builders, like the Harry Potter one, the DC deck builder. It's very tailored to give you a sort of certain story experience, like in that you're playing through, you know, Harry and Friends Adventures. You go through all seven years. But when you get into the trading card ones, then it's like the world is your oyster. You I, can make whatever kind of deck it's incredible or whatever the, you want to do. Yeah, it's incredible the yeah just the range of diversity in decks and each player has kind of their own wheelhouse particularly when you look at magic Mm -hmm. each player kind of has this well i gravitate towards this like for me rakdos i run rakdos all day every day i'm a big fan of that makes sense for you really aggressive for the uninitiated oh yeah sorry so magic's got five colors when you start combining more than one color at a time they have different names rakdos is black and red the five colors of magic are blue green white Red 
and black. And so you can actually run a five-color deck, and some of those are scary powerful. They're also really complicated. It's like the more colors you start adding, the more complicated the deck gets. Because it can be harder to get some of your stuff just to work be, if you yeah. don't have the mana for it. I yeah. mean, you just, you just get... In getting into the minutia of it, it's like you, there's a, it's very hard to control the logistics of a 500-color deck to me. Yeah. So, like, I run really aggressive, creature-heavy decks, or what we would call tribal, mm-hmm. where I... And every deck I've ever gone and built has had a very specific theme before I built the deck. So, like, the vampires... I bought those, and I, I bought a pre-gen to get back into Magic. And I said, I really like this, but I, I think I can make it better. And so the Vampires were a Rakdos deck. I knew that's what they were going to be. They were going to be red-black, creature-heavy. And then I went and I adjusted them from there. I really, really like running that deck. So then I said, well, if I've got Vampires, i got to have Werewolves, right? <laughs> so I built from the ground up a, a, a red-green or Gruul Werewolf deck. And that was a lot of fun. I like um, your thinking, Steven. Well, you got to have it. The next thing I was going to build was like Ghosts. like yin and yang. And then I decided I just wanted to go for like classic gothic horror and have all you of my are decks an Innistrad be Innistrad man at heart. I really am. The Innistrad sets were so much fun. They're they're my favorite for sure. But then I bought a spirits deck and I hated it. And I didn't build it and I didn't work on it. I should really go back and fix that, I suppose. And this might be a good time to mention that anything I add to this conversation uh the two of you referring to Stephen and Caleb were successful in getting me into magic within yeah, these now last I'm couple kind of, of months. Regretting it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that red gosh. dragon deck was rude. <laughs> it's still yeah. Caleb still beat us, but yes, <laughs> still. Oh goodness! Well, in, Luck of the draw. Yeah, heart of the Did cards. Heart of the cards. Heart of the cards. He he beat me in a one on one before you guys got here, and and yes. then won the the three the the multi way that we played. Yeah. And I technically won in Harry Potter, too, because we, we all won. We <laughs> all won in Harry Potter. We, I, I we should. did it's not a, lose. I'm yeah. feeling lucky today. Ooh. Oh, it's like when we played a, a week ago, Casey won both games and, and then left, and then you and I played a one-on-one. Anyway, but... Yeah, uh, and you lost. I, know. <laughs> I, I went 0-3. Oh I'm still learning. Well, it's and, okay. Well, because well, your decks are well-built. They are. Yeah. And that's part of the fun of the game, is that even the best-built decks are going to have games where they don't win, yeah. or they lose, because it is still luck based what Deck you draw builder it's random the cards yeah. you draw <laughs> what you draw dictate you know? how this goes and we can focus on the the magic building a little bit and then i also kind of want to jump around to some of the again just the different different fantasies and different just properties and different ways because there's all sorts of ways to get into deck building and like the harry potter one is so fun because of the cooperative mechanic and the fact that you can bring someone to the table of learning a new game mechanic without I don't think this was when we talked to John, but I recall an interview with him where he talked about cooperative gaming and just said, it's not like a game where the end goal is I'm going to drive you into the ground like a tent stake for me to win. You have to lose. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing him there, but that was the crux of it. (laughs) And having that cooperative element is better just recalling as you guys have been trying to get me into magic. Like when we did that teaching game, open hand, okay, this is how it works. I still didn't have a full understanding of how it was all functioning and you were letting me run your vampires while you ran your werewolves. Because the vampires are easier to run than the werewolves. Yeah, then I pulled back from the game. It's like, okay, let's see how this goes. And then it was like the two of you and Casey were playing a whole different sport. (laughs) (laughs) Things got really complicated really quickly. I noticed that when I hear you all talk about it because I'm like, wow, this is super impressive. I have no clue what's happening in this conversation. (laughs) That was me two months ago. And that's yeah. part of the that's part of the problem with with magic or or and even like Pokemon got so completely out of hand. I only every ever really... every trading card game has power creep and power ramp and gets to a point where 
It's a whole it's other ridiculous. vocabulary. Yes. Like, you're not even using English at that point. Yeah. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! is notorious for that. You know, when it started out, it was like, oh, this card has basically no text on it. It just says, oh, it has, like, 500 attack and 500 defense. And now you need, like, a, a magnifying glass to, to read, read. The, <laughs> the two paragraphs of text on what this card does. It's insane. But, you know, I mean, that's part of the appeal. Part of the building process is, you know, you need to understand your cards particularly with games like Magic or, or Yu-Gi-Oh! Or, or even Pokemon, but mostly Magic because I don't play those two. You have to know your cards to to be able to build your decks effectively. And if especially if you're working on a theme like Werewolves or Snow, which was really weird to build. Or Pirates. Or Pirates. <laughs> I freaking love the Pirates team, by the way. It's so good. Work um, in progress, but it's done a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a, It's a little bit more of a research game because there's so many cards out there. And there's some really, really good cards that you might not have come across. So then you have to go and you have to do your research. And even with the vampires, where I'm, I'm relatively familiar with the sets that were coming out when I first started playing, uh, which was, you know, back before Shadow of Innistrad, where then Shadow of Innistrad dropped and you got a whole slew of new vampires, which was really cool. Um, and this was back 2015, 16, mm-hmm. when I first started playing Magic. Because I, I mean, even though I was pretty much an adult, I was playing while I worked at Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp because all of the campers that I was working with played Magic. And so I, I got into it and I, mostly because I didn't like getting beat by a bunch of middle schoolers. <laughs> so this is a, I'll tell the whole story. That, I don't know. Have that you heard that strong story? incentive to learn. Have you heard the whole story of how I started playing Magic? I, I've heard the broad strokes, but t- take us through it. This is, I the, mean, the, so, this is the time. Yeah. So the reason I started playing Magic, and I, th- I think this was the first time I ever played any real deck builder or any kind of trading card games. I never really what played. What an origin story, Steve. I know, it's I'm weird, isn't it? Because <laughs> I never really played Pokemon. Like, I, I played the kids. video games, and I, I had some of the cards. I definitely never played Yu-Gi-Oh. I never watched the show. I just didn't. You missed Are out. you trying to say it just something didn't, I, It just didn't it hook way? me. I don't know. You missed. You talking bad about Yu-Gi-Oh? No, I'm just saying it wasn't interesting. <laughs> but, you know. So anyways, I'm working as a, as a, camp, as a camp counselor at a stay-away fine arts camp. So these kids are on campus for 12 days at a time. And I was their cabin counselor. So that means I had 11 students living in the same cabin as me that rotated every 12 days. And they're all freshman, sophomore, high school, or in middle school. And I'm like, I am in college. I am removed from high school by three years at this point. How do I connect with these kids? And one day I see them playing this game. And it's like second day of camp and there's like five or six kids all gathered around and another like 10 or 12 watching and they're playing two headed giant. So two, two on two teams, you double the life total and you play You win or lose as a team. It's of kind of a cool. It's gathering. yeah, it's mm-hmm. a, a and they're playing magic, right? And they're using standard ish decks. So 60 card decks. And so it's just a different format to play. And that's one of the greatest things about magic is that there's you know, like eight, nine, 10 different formats, maybe more that I'm not aware of ways to play with the cards that they print. I'd love to try that at some point just so you can get away with having one of the heads of the giant having no idea what the he's doing. Yeah, that helps. Um, or like in Commander, when, you pl- when you've got a bunch of people playing Commander, you can do Emperor, which is essentially three-man teams. Mm. That gets a little weird, but it is cool. Anyways, I'm watching them play, and I'm like, I have no clue what this is. So I step up, and I ask a kid, and he goes, oh, we're playing Magic. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, how can I play? And he goes, well, you got to have cards. And I went, great. So on my night off, which was like the next night, I went to the local game shop in the mall that was close to close to camp. And of course, Blue Lake is up in Michigan, so Muskegon's the next the next closest main 
city. So you had to journey to get these. Yeah, cars. so I like I like drove forty five <laughs> minutes on my on my one night off of the of the, like the session to go get these cards, and I bought this little starter deck. It was right when Shadow of Innistrad dropped, and so they had a black red vampire starting deck. You've never looked back, and I've never looked back. <laughs> well, no. So, so I'm like, cool. I have cards. I can play. Great. So the next day, I sat down during my break time and during their rec hour, and I said, "Hey, I would like to play." And they, I had learned the basics, and I got my butt handed to me. I was eviscerated, mercilessly. No quarter. Nobody took a minute to go. Oh, he's a beginner. These kids just. <laughs> ground my deck into the dirt and they were mean about it because <laughs> you know middle schoolers beating the college guy yeah. well that's cool so one of the other counselors is a professional judge for magic he judge yeah the big like international competitions he judges those oh goodness so he sits at the table while players are playing and he calls if they're following the right rules because things get that complicated so I looked at him. I took my deck to him that night after after lights out for the kids. And I said, Vince, how do I win? And he goes, how much money you got? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, this is true. Situation? You know, and I, I, he said, well, I'll tell you what. You've got a good starter. This is actually a decent pre-generated deck. Give me 20 bucks and leave your cards with me. And in the morning, I will give you a good deck. You really got to trust Vince on this I one, trusted huh? Vince, yeah. So he was true to his word. He gave me this deck that turned my vampires from a kind of middling starting deck into this well-oiled, merciless meat grinder of a deck uh, overnight. And then kids stopped playing with me. <laughs> <laughs> Because I went, all right, you little buggers. You want to beat me like that? Watch this. It took me like two rounds to figure out how the deck really worked. And then after that, it was it was brutal. I don't have those cards anymore because I was an idiot and, and sold them. Never sell your trading cards, ever. Seriously. Keep them in 30 years. They might be worth thousands of dollars. No, that's the thing, right? But that's how I got started. And, and then I, I found, after I was married, I found guys who, who still play and who wanted to play. And I said... I used to play and I miss playing. And so now I do that. I try to do that once a week or so. And it's great. And the community is great. And they're always willing to offer their input on the state of your deck, which is usually, man, your deck sucks. Or I hate that deck, yep, <laughs> which is a good thing. States. Those are the things that I like. I like to hear that second one. <laughs> well, I hear that second one. That means I'm doing well. Well, this was, uh, I'm going to go into uh, speech territory here, thinking of the, assistant coach who followed after me at Dwanger or, or, or did two after me and he stepped away from the position but he was very proud of the team when and he pointed out he he used a phrase that you just reminded me of he said you guys have gone from uh, an oh cool team to an oh crap team it's yeah like, it's no longer oh cool they're here it's oh crap they're, they're here. here well there go our chances to win right yeah no that's what you turn the deck into you know I love the, com the competition and I I really I really do. And the flavor text for the magic cards and the art is really what drew me to it in the first time. Because I remember looking at these cards and going, man, these are just really cool looking cards. And then they always have like a flavor text line at the bottom of the card that's just entertaining. Like for all of the Dracula cards, the ones that are that were the alternate arts that I have, they are actually from Bram Stoker's Dracula, either the play or the original novel, which is I mean, that's just cool to me. It's just a nice another little piece of a nice, nice little treat. 
How do you feel that contributes to the storytelling element of your experience? Because that's something I notice myself feeling most drawn to when you guys bring up magic and start playing the game is I love looking at the art on the different cards. That makes a huge difference. If the yeah. cards don't look good, I'm sorry. I'm not going to play. I never really cared for the art for Yu-Gi-Oh. That might be my problem. Probably. I mean, it's very that one's much more, you know, anime, sort of Digimon-esque. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like crazy, crazy monsters. Uh, in Magic the Gathering, there are people will make decks that are all the cards are art by the same artist. Oh, that's yeah, cool. like that's the unifying they will factor. Do that. One cool detail that I noticed uh, when I was showing you the pirate deck earlier, uh, because the the is it which is red blue uh, commander that or one of the commanders I can run with that is Captain Vargas Wrath, and Vargas I think is the last name of the artist who drew that character. Oh, that's that's cool. cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And you have just. Because there's, what was it? <laughs> when we were playing earlier, because we played a, a game of Magic before we delved into the Harry Potter deck builder, there was a moment where I was pretty sure I knew what your answer would be. I was like, which of these three would you run? Because I, I could play one of the three cards I was holding. And naturally, you went with the two-headed dragon because <laughs> it was the coolest the looking right card. By far. Dragon. Oh, my goodness. What's better than a one-headed dragon? <laughs> and I think that's why I... I picked the vampire deck that I did the very first time because it had this really cool looking vampire knight floating off the ground and it was a foil and it was just you know dark and brooding and ugh, wonderful it's got that energy and so those Dracula cards the I bought the five basic lands those basic lands are all done by the same artist and they're gorgeous and then I mean all of those cards are that's half the half of it that's more than half of it for me. I love the way they look. My wolves are so freaking cool. I love my little puppy dogs. Nobody else does, <laughs> but I love them. I mean, um, I, I, you know. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it when we were playing with Casey, and I just got to steal your commander with the pirates. You jerk. <laughs> <laughs> it was all working until I hit Casey with both our commanders, and then he did a board wipe. Yeah. Oh, well, that's you know, that's the danger of the game. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. So obviously, neither of these things are a sponsor of storytelling breakdown. But as you can tell from our conversation. We immensely enjoyed playing the Harry Potter deck builder. We immensely enjoy Magic the Gathering. There's so many layers to game design as we're kind of talking about about the, the artistic focus of it. It's a beautiful blend of good writing, good artwork, and then just some of the math and almost, I guess you could say, engineering involved and yeah. making sure that the game mechanically functions, functions the way that it should and doesn't suffer from as like we were talking a little about like power creep through like different editions because as uh, Caleb, you and I have been playing a lot of Smash Up, the base game and the early expansions don't feel anything like magic. Mm -hmm. The later expansions, as things continue to get more complicated, it's one of those things where I realize, oh, you've got more experience playing Magic the Gathering than me, and you can you can just obliterate me with some of those later factions. Yeah, you give me enough mechanics, and I can deck tech and just play like 10 cards at once and just run all these different combinations that are just going to, you know totally overwhelm the game if you're not like at the same power level yeah and well and you see that that's one of the downfalls i think of of deck building games is that if you don't trading have card games tra the trading card ones in particular if you don't have that understanding if you're sitting across the table from somebody who does or at least had someone show them some of that you're in trouble, and, and you're not you going to enjoy it. <laughs> the money on some level that should be well, said about yeah you know, mm -hmm. trading card trading games. card games yeah i mean the more money you sink into it theoretically the better the better you're going to do now i've seen that's why when magic has some of those uh things like the penny dreadfuls 
where you're the whole point is to build a deck mm-hmm. for as little money as possible and see how it does. I always called those popper decks. Popper decks, yeah. <laughs> P-A-U-P-E-R. Is that how you spell that word? Popper. Popper. A popper. popper. person. And I don't know. I mean, you're you're good. Not a P O P P. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I <laughs> not I, that. I I had to go from not a rather. I had to go to a Dickensian definition rather than a food definition. Right. Yes. So, okay. We're, yeah, good. we're on the same page now. Uh, but yeah, those are decks where the they only cards allowed in them are of the common rarity. Mm-hmm. So you can only run commons, only the most basic yep. cards. That's fun. I mean, it. Yeah, it can be. The group that I play with is looking at putting together Penny Dreadfuls. I was telling you earlier. Um, before hmm. we started recording, we're looking at putting together Penny Dreadfuls where your your commander can only cost 25 cents or less. Mm-hmm. And then all the cards, each card can only cost 7 cents or less. And so that's going to get weird because <laughs> you've got 100 cards you got to figure out. Yeah, and you still you, have to put together a decent deck. To, if you go online and just look up like the best oh, yeah, commander decks or whatever, the price tag will be like you know $3,000. You can, yeah. The vampires are up over 200 now as if what they're worth if I were to sell the cards individually and you know those cards change I mean there are guys who take trading card games and use them like stock like they trade they trade the cards they do not play the cards and that, that sounds so stressful I, yeah I can't I can't imagine I really can't it's a game and I love the game don't get me wrong I love the cards and if I had the expendable income yeah I probably would but <laughs> so really you don't have agreements with it See? I don't, but it's just like the barrier of entry for doing that. Correct. It's not even that. I would still never trade them because that's just way too much work, and it defeats the point. It it was built as a game. It was, and I love that. I love the game, and it's like it's the same reason that I I dropped a crap ton of money getting all the old Star Wars comics back right before COVID, because all of these old Dark Horse comics went out of print. So I did. I spent a decent chunk trying to get as many of them as I could. Not because I wanted to trade them later or sell them later when they'd be worth more money, but because I wanted those stories. I wanted the artwork. I wanted the, I wanted to be able to show them to my my kids when they get old enough to read them. Let your friends borrow them. Let my friends borrow them, and they get to they get we get to use them for really really great Star Wars mm-hmm. our tabletop RPGs, or at least parts of it. Ulick Keldrama, <laughs> um, and so it's like that was the point, and that's kind of the way I approach, in particular, the way I approach Magic. Because it is an evolving trading card game, you can there's uh, there's there's going to be at least one more set release. I think two more set releases this year, mm-hmm. yeah. which is just insane. Well, and I have a collector's mindset, so I was not the person you yep, needed nope. to introduce to Magic, nope, but I'm nope, enjoying nope. it immensely. And you just have to, you just yeah. have to set your collector's mind. And I had it's hard. Mm-hmm. You have to sit, take your collector mind for a moment and go. Do I have $25,000 a year to spend on Magic? No, 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 no. And no, if no, the answer no. is no. Then you have to take that collector mentality and say, I have a limit. <laughs> this yeah, is yeah, the limit for new well, cards well, this year or one, this month or this week even. I'll say this just because maybe it would be helpful to someone who is considering getting into magic and isn't yet. I've kind of color limited myself in that everything that I have in my collection right now is largely blue and red. And the only black stuff I'm running is specifically to have an option of doing a blue red oh, black yeah, combination the... of the pirates with Admiral Beckett brass. Yeah. So I have not invested in any cards that are green or white. And so yet. you're not doing you're not doing <laughs> yeah. the, the set boosters or any of the draft packs. I'm going individual. You're just buying and, everything individually. Yeah. yeah. After you got me started though, because and this is something Caleb you pointed out earlier in the day was I don't think it's a coincidence that you got into Magic the Gathering once they based sets on Dungeons and Dragons, and we were talking about uh, yeah, they did. They the released ones the that Dungeons and Dragons yeah. ones that the, earlier this year, Baldur's, Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate yeah. and uh, Forgotten Realms. Yeah, because yeah. Dritzt was a legendary yep. 
Planeswalker or a creature? I don't remember. <laughs> it's fine. As a person in the room who has the least amount of experience with card games, Ben, I want to circle to something you said. What advice would the three of you have for someone who's interested in getting started with deck building games, but has no idea what that world is, whether it's magic yeah. or any card games out there? Do they have to know other people who play to get started? Well, I think we can speak to the pathways that we've kind of already been talking about. Yeah. The, the starter deck or, and, and you got me a, I got a you different pre, version a of it. Yeah, but it was effectively, yeah, that's exactly what it a was. A good pre-build, yeah. Magic in particular, I actually think, does make it really accessible to start playing the game. And actually, Caleb gave me very cool advice on it, which kind of led to the pirate deck as I was working on it, which was just find a cool card that you want to use for a commander and build around it. Yeah, absolutely. It gets much are, easier to narrow the focus of the other 99 cards once you know what that one card is doing really exactly. well. Exactly. And that does you do result in very commander-centric decks, but it's commander. That's the point. When it comes to getting into magic, if you want to do a trading card deck builder, there's, there's three things. One, you have to understand that it is very, very possible to spend a ton of money on things you don't need to play. Get a good starter standard or a good starter commander and learn the game. To learn the game, you, you do need to have people around who want to play it. And Where do you think people can go for that? Like if they don't know anybody or do game stores? Yeah, you're, so like any thing. of those game shops around yeah. town or Friday anywhere Night really. Friday Night Magic is a thing. Very that much is so. Publicized by Wizards of the Coast, the company that makes Magic the Gathering. And most, like every game store in your town will probably run it. It's just people are there Friday night and they play Magic. Sometimes they have tournaments, sometimes it's just people hanging out and playing. And matches. I love the Magic community. For but the yes, most part. if you walk in and are like, I don't want, I don't know anything about this, but I'm interested and I want to play it, it's people there, there will, they'll be excited they'll teach, to bring something. They'll, new they'll in. show you a deck. That's awesome. Heck, when I got back into Magic, one of the guys just gave me the Vampire Pre Gen for. Yeah, people will just give you cards um, for whatever Crimson Val, which is the base of the vampires that I run now. Most of those cards have been swapped out, but <laughs> you know it was the base of it. The Magic community is really cool. They love bringing new people in. Now they're really cutthroat once they're playing. <laughs> once you Just know like how to play, kids, once you, you know, know how to play, way, <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no, there's, they don't play with. Uh, there's no boxing gloves. That's it's a full no holds barred. Yeah. Trading but, wheels are on, gloves come off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, they uh, they don't they don't hold back, but they are more than happy to teach. They're always excited to see new people. So when it comes to like Magic, that's my experience because I really don't play. Like I said, Pokemon or or Yu Gi Oh, but those are like the three big ones. The other deck building games like Smash Up or DC Beck Deck Builder or the Harry Potter game, those are a little bit different where the sense it's not a trading game. So there's not new things coming out. If it's you like want to get in, yeah, if you, you want to get into that, you just set. buy the game. Yep. It's like playing any other game. You just need exactly. other people yeah. sit around, learn the rules with you, have a good time. And for the most part, I would run the Harry Potter game in any board game night ever because it's it is a deck builder but it's completely self-contained. It's its own unit. Harry Potter, Hogwarts Battle, a cooperative <laughs> deck building game. Are you going to keep all TM, that then? rights reserved. <laughs> TM, all rights yeah. reserved. Well, and, Not an intellectual property of this podcast. Well, and again, I was... Nor a sponsor. Although, yeah. the storytelling breakdown yeah. deck building game. 
could be fun. What would that look like? So would there be like a Caleb and a Steven and a Ben and a yeah. Larissa? Yeah. Also, our, our logo already has different colors behind us. This I is mean, true. It's, it's not far off. What Although your, the colors might not be matched to the What would your ability correctly. be? Yes. Well, that's yeah. okay. We can, yeah. we can determine what the colors are for ourselves. This yeah. is an interesting thought experiment. I'm <laughs> behind this. So what are you trying to win? So like if we come together collectively, if you're playing the storytelling breakdown card deck game, I don't know. Is it gonna be a? Is it gonna be an all of us versus each other thing, or is it gonna be cooperative? I think it should be cooperative. Okay, so now it's cooperative. We work a podcast as a episode okay, against cool. fantastical yeah. elements. We have to go on a journey of producing a podcast episode, but there are fantastical fantastic. things in between us and it. Items from pop culture. So, what oh, is goodness. your ability that helps us get there? Based on your real life experience. Oh, no. See, now we're overlapping with the five man band conversation. <laughs> like, and just how each contributor of a team brings different things <laughs> to the true. table. Well, so, oh, my so Ben's the audio engineer. <laughs> yeah, Ben's oh, okay. the audio. Ben's, so everything, all of his cards or all of his powers are going to be based on. His mm-hmm. like starting deck is going to be based on the fact that he actually knows how to edit our episodes and See, put the equipment together. Quick pause because uh, <laughs> you're reminding me of. Uh, well, I told you about it because the latest Critical Role one-shot had Matthew Lillard in a prominent role. Shaggy! <laughs> they also had yes. uh, Lou Wilson from Dimension 20. Oh, cool. And his character, like all of the other characters, it's 90s internet. They're teenage hackers, and they have these different abilities. It's like your specialty is hardware and wiring. Your specialty is software and hacking. Lou's character is guy who has a car. <laughs> I feel like the, the audio engineer in the context of a podcast is the guy, guy who, who has, has a car. car. No, no, I disagree, Ben. That would be the no, guy who has the mics. You would be the one who knows how to drive the car, knows where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. Has a car when it breaks down. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, that's an incredibly important role. <laughs> it is. The podcast can't happen without the audio engineer, like. Uh, None of us is <laughs> as important as that person. <laughs> An anecdote I'll point out to you, Stephen, and you, Larissa. It was this two days ago? I was over here yeah. with Ben, and we were working just on podcast stuff. And he was putting together an episode and literally recognizes the waveforms of some of the audio we use in every episode. So the ups and downs. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's this part. Just looking at the spike. I'll just match these two up. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Ben. So, like, obviously, that has to be his focus if he's gonna be. If he's oh gonna be. So goodness. then we get. For reference, it's the tag, because we got the theme music from Kurt Remke, but the tag came from John Dawkins. So those oh, two yeah, things yeah. combine. I could realistically combine them once and then use it every time, but it's a fun little exercise to just go through a matchbook. <laughs> <laughs> it only anyway, Ben. I love it, only yeah. Ben would do it that way. I love it. Oh gosh. But then what, 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 what are our other powers? What are we good for? I don't know. I'm just happy to <laughs> you be You ask here. good questions. <laughs> yeah. yes. you, you like cut through the, the fanboyness the, and actually the, get into the, 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 the actual like meat of the, of the topic. I'm a curious cat. Kind of. That, that might be what you would base any cards for Larissa around is like searching your library. I see a lot of. I see a lot of. You're getting to the truth of it. I see a lot of scrying and searching in Larissa's decks. Well, you see, and this is where like it's always fun to like, tutoring. Pair, well, this is yes. again. I'm back to RPG decades where we paired up different factions with different people. Because like Jacob loves the ninjas, you enjoy the mythic Greeks. One of my favorite factions in that game actually is the werewolves. Ironically, one of the most underpowered in the game is the vampires. Otherwise, I would wholeheartedly recommend them. But yeah. you're not going to win many games. Nope. Well, you know, <laughs> vampires can't be overpowered in every media sense you know they're only immortal bloodsuckers 
on the note of vampires, and then we can absolutely take this back into the team as a deck builder. <laughs> well, yeah, but we have to... Yeah. That's because me and Caleb are sitting here going, what the hell are we getting I, I, for? I'm giving <laughs> us all time to think. So... We pontificate. We do. That's what a podcast is. Yeah. I brought a bunch of games into the home office to reference. We've already covered the magic decks, so no need to go any further in there. Smash Up has been covered as well. We'll get to this one later. But I brought in one game that's not a deck builder because in terms of being based on an extremely recognizable IP and being a cooperative game, Jasco Games has a Buffy the Vampire Slayer board game. And functionally, it plays kind of similar in that... There are different locations, there are villains, you are going to be playing some cards to try to get those villains off the board and trying to protect civilians, but it does a few things differently to make it feel less like magic users fighting against the dark Lord Voldemort and everything that we experience in the Harry Potter game, and more of a, you are trying to run from point A to point B, protect Sunnydale, constantly going up against a different big bad, you're also fighting different monsters of the week, which obviously is a phrase that has its own you mean monsters? It, of the it, week? Well, yeah, it's it's entirely it's entirely own uh, gameplay uh, RPG based on yep. it. Yeah, but the Buffy game is it has some card mechanics, but it's also focused on specific number of actions, moving around the board. If you're out of position, it's not going to matter if you have the right cards. So it it kind of feels like a blend between what we experienced uh, tonight when we were playing uh, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. And when we were playing Fury of Dracula, it's kind of a nice blend between the two, which makes sense when you consider. You know, I still never played that one. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there someday. Oh my goodness! I want to play Spike. (laughs) I'll fight you. Uh, Me too. (laughs) I want Spike. Back (laughs) off. There's (laughs) the other. uh, If I can, one other game I just want to make sure I bring up because the two of you now know how to play this. You will get the opportunity. I was so glad to get to. I finally went back to Gen Con this past year. Uh, or rather, I finally went back to Gen Con this past August. And I know some people are down there for multiple days. They're running games. They're playing <laughs> RPGs. They're taking part in tournaments. I mean, it is, it can be a long haul. I was there because we were able to arrange a day trip, and I had four and a half hours to do as much damage as I could. <laughs> but one of the go. things I was able to do was uh, I love games from Game Right. They make Sushi Go, Gonuts for Donuts, a lot of fun micro games that are easy to teach, really have a good all-age event. Yeah, and they're not super complicated. No, they're not. They're great. And they have a deck builder now called Abandon All Artichokes. So we go from Spellcasters and... Well, that actually qualifies a lot of the games we've been talking about. Most of the games. We've <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we go from spellcasters to vegetables. Vegetables. Anything fantastical. Yep. Yeah. I and mean, there are entire decks in Magic yep. built around fungus. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> they're terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Give it time. They're bound to make an exploding cookie card. As uh, going after Joe Cat on that one, but no, yeah, they do have uh, an exploding cookie card. Yep. Abandon all artichokes. Again, not a sponsor, but absolutely recommend. Everybody starts the game with again a hand of ten. The 10 start, like as soon as you were explaining how the Harry Potter deck builder started, I was like, oh, it's abandoned all artichokes. And you're gradually adding, but you're also actively trying to get rid of those artichokes. First person to draw a hand of five cards and not have any artichokes in it wins. It is that simple. And there's all sorts of fun little mechanics. The two other uh, fun aspects that I can just put a little kind of coda on this from Gen Con uh, were I got to meet the designer. So the box is signed by Emma Larkins. They had a Gen Con exclusive rhubarb set of cards. (laughs) <laughs> that you wouldn't find in the base game if you buy it in other places. That's cool. What oh an exciting goodness. time to get rhubarb. <laughs> rhubarb. Regardless of 
because I still feel like I'm fighting uphill in some of the magic games that I play with you guys. But this one, you can literally learn it the first time you pull it. You can win mm-hmm. it the first time you learn to play it. Yeah. That's, yeah. If, if you want a deck builder that's not going to take yeah. all day and have a, a, not as steep of a learning curve, something like Abandon All Artichokes is a great way to get into deck building. And that's part of the thing with, with those games that are definitely designed to be single units or at least smaller universes to dive into. Abandon All Artichokes, there's one expansion and that's your rhubarb which was a was was a special Mm. edition kind of a thing uh yeah yeah that was that's yeah so yeah exactly or the the harry potter game which it is its own self-contained unit unless you buy the one expansion that i know of that exists which is the uh fantastic beasts spinoff where you get luna as an extra player character and then you get all of the care of magical creatures stuff so not fantastic beasts care of magical creatures I'm going to complicate the what your deck would look like by adding in more things because a lot of areas we've discussed with deck builders have gone into similar territory that uh, kind of overlaps with the, oh, how do you approach this? Or what things like, what Hogwarts house are you? <laughs> or uh, or what D&D class do you most identify with? Because as I've thought about it, it's like, okay, well, Ravenclaw, Artificer, that stuff overlaps with the audio engineer yep, angle and everything that we got you. going That's here. what you do. Oh, my goodness. And then I'm thinking, like, okay, Steven, level 20 bard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe, like, a level 18. Yeah. 20's giving me a little bit too much credit. Yeah, but what are the other two levels in? Um, Paladin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see that. Oh, my maybe, word. Maybe a level 17 bard with three levels of Paladin so I get to smite. <laughs> Please, oh, dear Lord, <laughs> let yeah. me smite. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. yeah, and then obviously I'm a Slytherin mm-hmm. because proper house. And do we discuss that? We, wait, or we either have all the houses represented or it's close. It's close. I'm yeah. also Ravenclaw. And he's a Hufflepuff. I'm a Hufflepuff. And I guess some of the... Which depending the actual and depending on the and Well, <laughs> it's a good close second. <laughs> depending on the test I've taken, I've also, I've also gotten Gryffindor in some equations. So, yeah. I've that, gotten Hufflepuff, but I've self-identified as a Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> I self-identified as a, Hufflepuff, as a Hufflepuff and got that on the test. So. There you go. There we go. The only time I've ever gotten Gryffindor is I was rip-roaring drunk. <laughs> and it doesn't count. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? I mean, I was very drunk. And then you got on Pottermore.com. With a bunch of a bunch of other fellow nerds. I visit Pottermore a lot when I'm drunk. <laughs> and so, yeah, they made me take the test again. And I was like, yeah, screw it. That's fine. Let's go for it. Balances out a team, which speaking of. True. Balances out a team. So we have to figure out what Caleb and I do. I feel like mine is going to have to have to have something to do with music. That's why Ooh, I kept coming back to yeah. the board angle that and things. That makes sense. Because that is, that is, was my, that is like what I do outside of this podcast. That is my main focus. Sometimes I feel like the, like the comedian of the group. And th- there are between the massive, especially if we talk about the tabletop gaming world, the wells that you have had the opportunity to dig down all the way to the bedrock while I'm in the backyard just starting to dig with a shovel between the depth of experience there as well as I mean, we all hit different pop cultural wells. I also come back to like when you, we've had conversations of like, oh, we need to do one and like like B movies or different things. Like there are aspects of cinema and pop culture and film where it's like, I have not gotten anywhere close to that territory, but it is so much fun That's to true. experience. I'm a, of, I'm a bit of a cinephile. A yeah. jack of all trades. Yeah. yeah. And we're back to Bard again. Yeah. Bard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a warlock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. That came to my brain earlier and I wasn't sure why. Yeah, it's because Moonleaf was a warlock. Oh, that's why it did. Yep, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. I've heard stories of this character. My first character was a chaotic, stupid ranger. It was great. 
Well, we've gotten very off topic. Yes, we have. <laughs> well, the ways in which like there's ultimately, regardless of how much experience you have with deck builders, if you're someone who has a regular magic group that you play with every week, or this is something that you have not gotten anywhere close to touching in like your experience with games is like, oh, I hate playing Clue or I hate Monopoly. There was a great line. Who about, can hate yeah. playing Clue? Well, the, playing Clue is the most fun game. The same you, person wins every single time. Also is me. <laughs> it's never me. Because <laughs> I figure it out, but somebody else's turn is ahead of mine, and after, they've also figured it out. After we finish recording, I'm showing you the latest trailer for Glass Onion, if you haven't seen it yet. Things like micro games, things like cooperative games, this is a well that we are really spending like the entire ending part of our season as well as the launch of another project with RPG Decades focusing on tabletop gaming because it fuels the imaginations and the competitive instincts and the collector mindsets and all sorts of different things that we bring literally to the table when we have an opportunity to sit down and play games with friends. I love I love being able to pull out really any game as an, as an alternative to family gatherings or friends gatherings where Okay, so now what do we do? Yeah. If it's if it's not on if you're not on your phone and we're not all like watching a movie, what are we doing? Or we're not all watching the football game or the the basketball game or whatever, what have you? What do we do? We got to do something together cuz just sitting and talking can happen and can be a lot of fun. Proof, A, we do this podcast. <laughs> but you know about the, from sitting around and talking to each other. Exactly. <laughs> Conversations we were probably going to have anyways. Mm-hmm. Um but the games allow for something new, something different, something stimulating mentally and emotionally sometimes, and f- just plain old fun. And I, that's what I love about doing games. This is what I love about doing D&D. It's what I love about magic. The, when I when we used to do four-way couch co-op video games, it, you know, still on a screen, but still I miss the days where to play multiplayer, you had to have everybody in the same room or at least on the same local area network. Mario Party. Mario oh, Party, geez. Mario Kart, Mario Super Party. Smash Brothers. <laughs> Super Smash yes, Brothers, I Halo. I love to play Mario. Halo Party. Two, where you didn't have a local area network, and it was not quite the dawn of online multiplayer. So you had four guys all trying to kill each other without screen looking. Being able to do games with people, and and mm-hmm. it's not even about the game at that point. It's just it's never about the game. That's is actually it? a it's point. Always about the people. Mm-hmm. That's even a point ma- I wanted to even bring magic, up. even playing magic. Yeah, with the people. storytelling it's not of deck building the game doesn't end with the cards. I have so many stories of just. What happened while we were happened to be playing the game yeah. with friends and just the various reactions people had. And there's so many in-jokes I have with friends of mine that come from just playing these deck-building games together. Well, and this is where, again, thank you to the two of you for teaching me to play Magic, Stephen. Thank you for bringing the Harry Potter Hogwarts Oh, yeah, yeah. And teaching it to all of us. It was an immense amount of fun that we kind of got to build the evening around. Perhaps a note to end on, uh, just recalling how many games I'm into thanks to Will Wheaton's tabletop series. Play more games.
That was Mountain from the Backpacker album by our good friend Lucas Norton. Uh, that song definitely holds a special place in my heart. On that note, uh, Caleb and I are in the studio slash home office. With news that we got this month, there really was only one choice for doing the spotlights. Uh, we want to take a few minutes at the end of the episode here to talk about uh, the life and the legacy and the incredible voice uh, that was Kevin Conroy as Batman for so many years. The late but great Kevin Conroy. Yeah. When the news broke, <laughs> it's kind of surreal to see the tributes coming in from collaborators and among those collaborators, a lot of heroes and a lot of villains. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. we've got Michael Rosenbaum and Phil Lamar over here. We've got Mark Hamill, Tara Strong, and John Glover over here. Paul Dini, the mastermind behind it all. Yep. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and just his tweet was an image from Mask of the Phantasm, which, to for a little bit of context, uh, when we found out he passed, well, just this past Friday mm -hmm. uh, from when we're recording this, uh, I really appreciate you coming over, <laughs> and we watched Mask yeah, of the Phantasm and Epilogue. And I heard through you because, you know, I wasn't checking my phone for anything that day, and but you texted our, you know, uh, podcast group chat yeah and it was like oh just I didn't expect it to hit me as hard as it did but I was I, like immediately I was like okay I'm watching at least some of Batman the animated series today I don't know what but I'm gonna watch something and then I was like well Mask of the Phantasm that's clearly the best choice and of course I wanted to include you in that so yeah. yes well and we had a great time oh yeah no that that movie holds up so well and just Everything from Mark Hamill, also so early in his run as the Joker, uh, to Abe Vigoda as Salvatore Valestra. Uh, the fact that they do try to misdirect both in visual and in audio uh, between having Andrea crying on the bed and then they immediately cut to the phantasm and as the audience are thinking, oh, this could be happening at the same time or mm -hmm. just a little bit of time has passed. Spoiler alert for Batman Mask of the Phantasm. I feel like if you're listening to this, you've seen Batman yeah. Mask of the Phantasm. And if you haven't, go watch it. Oh, it's amazing. It is amazing whether or not you know what the mystery is. And the fact that the same voice actor voiced Phantasm as voiced her father. So oh, yeah, yeah. Another fun little misdirect there. And such a such a good and powerful performance from Conroy because mm -hmm. you get you know all the classic you know, Batman bits, but you also get those moments. The one that always sticks out to me is when he's like pleading at his parents' grave as mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne. And he's like, Hey, I'm finally happy. Like, yeah. I know I made a promise to you, but like, it's different now. Yeah. Just, can you let me out of this? And just, uh, he it delivers it with such emotion. <sighs> yeah, no, that is an absolutely incredible scene. And just the fact that Glenn Weldon, uh, talked a little bit, I think he even used, the phrase code switching kind of talking about how Conroy could lean into the lower end of his range for Batman, but then just go up a little bit and do a phenomenal Bruce Wayne. Oh God. Hart Bachner as Arthur Reeves and, and their whole thanks for the handkerchief, Arthur, you know where you can stick it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just He's amazing in both parts. Obviously when the news came out of his passing, you yeah. know, on social media, there were all these tributes and then clips of interviews and stuff he had done. But I saw one where he specifically talked about, you know, when he very first went into the studio for the animated series, he had a much lighter Bruce Wayne. Like, it was much more charismatic. It was more like his normal speaking voice. And then 
when they got back, you know, the images of what this world looked like that they created, they were like, all right, this is a very dark, you know, noir world we've made. Your Bruce Wayne's a little too happy. Tone him down a little bit. And he did. And I think it's perfect. Yeah, it absolutely is. And then he got to stay with that through different projects like Batman Beyond, where we get old Bruce Wayne. And again, after we watched Mass of the Phantasm, we watched Epilogue. If Batman's not around, is he, and he's trying to open his pills that he's going to take that night or is mm-hmm. complaining to Terry McGinnis that he made soup, but it's cold now. Just all of those conversations in, in that episode is just a a beautiful... <laughs> it deals with themes of death. It deals with themes of legacy. Uh, it was also a very good watch yeah. uh, on the day. Uh, and, and again, features... Uh, phenomenal performances from from Conroy and from others. And what a legacy. Yeah. Because especially when, you know, in regards to the Batman characters, you know, Batman and Joker, there's all that discussion online when it's like, oh, who's your favorite? Who's the best or whatever? I think it's pretty clear that there will never be another Kevin Conroy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or in just because the longevity of the run is insane. 30 years uh, of doing those characters uh, for Conroy and for Hamill and so consistently so well over time and everything from the original animated series up through the Arkham games where I think they get, there was a whole new level of attention and focus put on just what they could do with those characters. Again, thinking about uh, the personal experience on this one because, yeah, there's no... Until someone can actually step up and do it, it's going to be the classic, you don't want to be the person who replaces a legend, you want to replace the person who replaces the legend. It'll be interesting to see who's voicing Batman in different projects uh, over the coming years, because it's not like that's going to slow down. No, especially with Warner Brother, you know, ramping yeah. things back up with their DC universe. You also got, like, Diedrich Bader in the Harley Quinn universe and previously in Batman Brave and the Bold, but that is a very different take. <laughs> yes, yeah, that wouldn't work for any of the main properties that Conroy played Batman in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking with also my dad about it because uh, I, I was over at my, I was visiting my folks when I saw the news and kind of observing, oh, there's, you know, there's really only two actors who successfully used what we would think of as their own voice for playing Batman. Kevin Conroy being one, mm-hmm. Adam West being the other. <laughs> yep. My Batman and my dad's Batman. And just the imprint in very different eras uh, that they both uh, have left behind. I got to meet Neil Adams at Indiana Comic Con, I think, back in 19. And again, very glad that I had that opportunity uh, because after you and I watched Phantasm and Epilogue, uh, Melissa and I sat down and watched The Demon's Quest parts one and two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you were texting me about that. Yeah, and you had been texting me about that before we did our 30th anniversary episode yeah. back in September. And I enjoyed it immensely. And I was also processing, though, obviously we did our remembrance for Denny O'Neill back in 2020 when he passed. And now the four arguably most essential players to that episode, the original creators of the story, O'Neill and Adams, and then the two leads, Conroy and Warner, are all gone. Uh, it was just amazing to watch back and listen back and, and hear what they created. I mean, David Warner just uncorking some unhinged <laughs> evil laughs as Ross O'Goole. And every, I, I even had like memories from my speech team days when I would have like kind of Conroy's voice in my head narrating like his, and that's three <laughs> when he then throws <laughs> Ubu across the room. Mm-hmm. Also got to meet Conroy. I led with that and then kind of put a pin in it. 
I remember being very much towards the back of the line because everybody and their brother uh, wants to meet him, wants to get an autograph, wants to get their picture taken with him. And waiting, waiting, very far back. I hear the crowd react, specifically like the front part of it. So I know he just got to his table. And then before I process anything else, I see him standing on a chair <laughs> doing his, I am vengeance, I am the knight, I am Batman. The whole place erupts, not just in his line, but basically everyone who is within earshot for that. And then uh, getting to meet him and getting to also tell him, like, kind of to what degree his performance and Batman the Animated Series, definitely an inspiration for going into a field where my voice is my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, him wishing me best of luck uh, in that regard and uh, I don't have the picture anymore because one of my old phones was very stupid in uh, its file saving and storing it uh, not long after that Uh, but he did sign my copy of uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm to Ben and the Bat Family so I will treasure that for years to come I think it's also it it goes to show his character as far as I understand he had you know a whole big list of cons that he was trying to get to like as many as possible because you know he passed from cancer so he knew it was coming and he just he wanted to see so as many of his fans as he could while he still could which is just that's so yeah absolutely I think it was Kevin Smith talked about like they were already making plans for Mm. next year for him to, to come on a show and he said like the last text I sent him was just a heart it's like I love this man so much and I think it was like back in just last year, uh, there were, I think it was maybe LA Comic Con or something out there where they had a, a Batman animation panel and the three guests were Conroy, uh, Will Friedel, and John Glover. <laughs> so two Batman performers and the Riddler <laughs> <laughs> sitting down and talking Batman and the animation, which is just wonderful. I think what we keep coming back to, and we talked about this in the animated episode, and we talked about it from the first episode we ever did when we discussed the Joker. Whose voice do you hear when you read the comics? Mm-hmm. And that is going to be a legacy that sticks with everybody who's not just watching the shows and playing the video games, but reading the books for years and decades to come. And it even takes me back to the fact that the first comic book that really got me hooked on the genre was Batman Gotham Adventures, which was based on the new adventures of the series and also comes out of the Bruce Timverse. So I am a Batman fan in the way that I am a Batman fan all of it goes back to Kevin Conroy's mm-hmm. version of the character. I wonder if, you know, when Bob Kane first created Batman, he, if he ever thought or ever, you know, wondered mm-hmm. just how many amazing people would be involved with this character over the course of the years. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and just <laughs> everything from 1989, really? Mr. Mom is playing Batman and Keaton turning in a, a fantastic performance. Uh, to the most recent take from Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. Absolutely incredible. Uh, I also saw a, maybe this is the note to end on, uh, someone shared what was pretty clearly a cameo. So it was a personal message from Kevin Conroy to someone. And the cameo was a message that was clearly sent because someone was uh, processing uh a death in their family and Conroy talked about being there when both his parents passed uh, in separate on separate occasions and then also included I am vengeance I am the night I am Batman and then the quote from Batman begins with its 
not who you are underneath, but what you do that defines you. And just the fact that he was willing to <laughs> do a line that wasn't his, but mm-hmm. hearing just like almost gives it an extra level of weight that mm-hmm. you get to hear it in Conroy's Batman voice. We talked about this with Sandman. When you're processing or trying to process the end, a character like Death in Sandman or a character like Batman in Epilogue and that whole scene with Ace, mm-hmm. it makes you okay with what's to come. And yeah, that's a good place to be as we uh, contemplate Just to one know of the greatest legacies in the history of Batman as a character. Yeah, that you had a friend with you there at the end. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review, give a rating, subscribe, and share with your friends from wherever you get your podcasts. It all helps Storytelling Breakdown reach more people and grow our community. Check out the SB blog, past episodes, reach out, leave a comment, send a message, especially for the spotlights. We reach out to friends and people in our various social orbits for episode and spotlight content, but it's so cool when you come to us too. You can find Storytelling Breakdown on Facebook and Instagram. Reach out to our team at info at storytelling-breakdown.com. What is the largest number of episodes of Storytelling Breakdown that we have brought you in a single month? That would be six. This month, we have debuted a new series called RPG Decades. It's the central gaming hub of Storytelling Breakdown, and we are focusing on tabletop gaming, specifically the game Smash Up, for the first season of the show. Caleb and I acted as host and producer, respectfully, for a run of episodes featuring uh, several friends of ours. You'll hear Jacob Ganser, Lucas Gerke, and Nicole Rudolph playing Smash Up with us. The first five episodes can be found wherever you can find Storytelling Breakdown, wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is by Kurt Remke. Our logo is by Daniel Church. Our podcast is hosted wherever you get your podcasts by John Dawkins and Wayne Shout Productions. Everyone has a story. These are some of our favorites. And this has been Storytelling Breakdown. WSP, Wayne Shout Productions. Wayne Shout.